Section 4 of an inaugural dissertation on pulmonary consumption. This is a LibreOx recording. All LibreOx recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibreOx.org. An inaugural dissertation on pulmonary consumption. Section 4. Diet and regimen of consumption patients. We come now to speak of the diet and regimen of patients labouring under phthisis pulmonalis, a subject no less important than the remedies to be exhibited. In the first stage, the diet should be perfectly simple, and as such as will least tend to increase the inflammatory action of the system. For this purpose, nothing is better than milk, so sensible have physicians, at all times, being of its propriety, that in many cases, they have trusted the cure entirely to a milk diet. It is highly spoken of by almost every author who has written on this subject, and with reason. It is light, easily digested, and does not produce any excitement. Many have preferred asses to cows' milk, but it does not appear that there is any material difference which should influence our choice. The former is thinner and less nutritious, and perhaps, to very delicate stomachs, may be more acceptable, but in general, the latter is as useful. Milk, however, is very offensive to some stomachs, and not so easily digested as other food. In such cases, it must necessarily be prohibited. As a general rule, with regard to diet, in this stage, animal food is improper, and the patient should be confined to the use of vegetables. Fresh sub-acid fruits are proper, and, indeed, of so much importance have they been considered, Hoffman mentions a case of confirmed phthisis, cured by confining the patient to the use of fruits, and particularly strawberries, mucilaginous and diluent drinks, as those formed from barley, sago and flaxseed are also useful. Among these may be classed the Lycanus landicus, which has gained with some the reputation of cure and consumption. Weak is the foundation for hope of those who depend on it, as an article of diet, from its mucilaginous property, it is useful. In the last stage, from its possessing slightly better and tonic virtues, it is also proper, but as a remedy for phthisis, it is altogether inert, nor are its tonic powers sufficiently great to render it injurious in the early stage of the disease. The dress of the patient should also be regulated by the physician. He should be clothed in flannel and is frequently changed. A constant determination is thus kept up to the surface and to some extent diverted from the chest. At the same time, all exposure to cold, moisture or sudden alterations of temperature must be studiously avoided as in many cases, they lay the foundation for consumption. So after it is commenced, their repetition aggravates it. Mental distress and consequent despondence impedes the cure of those whom otherwise might recover, and should be obviated as much as possible. Happily, patients labouring under phthisis generally with difficulty design hopes of recovery, and despondence from that source does not often depress them, but mental anxiety, produced by other causes, is very injurious. It should be relieved, as much as possible, by pleasant amusements, a journey, a sea voyage, or any other method most suited to the particular circumstances of the patient. In the second stage of consumption, the diet of the patient must be altered, as well as the medical treatment. The most nutritious articles of food are then to be chosen, and such as are at the same time the most easily digested. It is well ascertained that the older meats, as beef and mutton, possess these properties in a higher degree than veal or lamb, and generally the brown more than white meats. With the same view, Wild fowl and game generally form nutritious articles of diet proper for consumptive patients. Eggs combine a large quantity of nourishment in a small compass and may be freely used. They should be taken either quite raw or boiled for very few minutes. When boiled hard, they form one of the most indigestible and offensive substances to the delicate stomach that are used in diet. Various culinary preparations, of which eggs form a principal part, are for the same reasons proper. Jellies also contain a great quantity of nutritious matter and are very acceptable to patients who, as in consumption, have little appetite. Oysters and some other of the testacea are also extremely nutritious. Isinglass, boiled in milk, is frequently in use and with advantage in these cases. Of the vegetable nourishments, 
those should be chosen which are most nutritious and abounding in mucilage, as rice, sago, arrowwood, and tapioca. Chocolate, when prepared in such manner as to be free from oily matter, is a very pleasant article of diet. The drinks of the patient should also be stimulating and nutritious. Malt liquors combine both these properties with some tonic virtues, which they obtain from the bitter of the hops infused in them, and therefore constitute the best drink for consumptive patients. Wine, also, may be used moderately with advantage, but requires some caution, and should be immediately abandoned if any undue excitement be produced by it. In this, as in every other stage of consumption, while the patient has sufficient strength, exercise is necessary to the recovery of health. Of so much importance is exercise, that in many cases, it has alone cured this disease. Dr. Rush relates many such cases, and particularly, three instances of persons in confirmed consumptions, perfectly cured by the hardships of a military life. Of so much consequence was it in the eyes of Sydenham that he pronounced riding on horseback a certain cure for consumptions as bark for an intermittent fever. Indeed, all writers on this disease join in recommending it, not only as part of the regimen, but as a principal remedy in the treatment. The mode of exercise to be chosen should depend entirely on the situation of the patient at the time. While much pain and soreness subsist, denoting the presence of active inflammation, the most gentle exercise only should be used. At that time, riding in a carriage or on horseback would be as improper as the patient labouring under pleurisy. The swing, so highly recommended by Dr. Carmichael Smythe, is the least fatiguing and most gentle mode that can be adopted. It may be serviceable too, when the patient is too much debilitated to bear other more fatiguing exercise. But I would, by no means, adopt the opinion of Carmichael Smythe that the swing, in itself, and unassisted by other remedies, will cure consumption. Experience has proven the contrary, and has taught us that it is only useful as an article of regimen, while the patient is under the influence of other more powerful remedies. When there is sufficient strength to bear it, and not too much excitement, riding in an easy carriage is the next mode of gestation which may be used. When the patient is unable to ride on horseback, we have more to expect from it than any other species of exercise. To attain the greatest benefit from it, it should be made use of regularly and constantly, not during the cold air of early morning, nor the dews of the evening, but rather during the day, after the sun exerts some influence. A long journey on horseback affords the most useful method of obtaining all the advantages that can be derived from exercise. It is then made constant and regular, and the amusement afforded by travelling serves to divert the patient's mind from his own feelings and adds to its beneficial effects. Secondary phthisis pulmonalis remains yet to be treated of. Under the order should be included every form of consumption, in which the system has become debilitated by any cause and the lungs in consequence become affected. I would exclude from it that form of the disease occurring after measles, scarlatina, and some other eruptive diseases, which I would consider as primary phthysis pulmonalis, because, in those cases, the lungs do not become affected merely in consequence of debility, but those diseases seem rather to act as exciting causes in constitutions already predisposed to consumption, while in secondary phthysis, the affection of the lungs is only one symptom of the general disease, which is wasting the body. Nor would the treatment, which will be advocated in the latter form, be proper in the cases alluded to. They require that, which should be used in the first species of phthysis, and which has already been detailed. The reason why the lungs become affected in consequence of debility induced by particular causes, I would not attempt to explain. It is one of the laws of the constitution, not better understood, than why particular parts are successfully affected in consequence of syphilis, or that the breasts and lower extremities are more liable to disease than other parts, except the uterus, and females after parturition. Many laws of this kind exist in the human constitution, of whose effects we are every day made sensible, but of the cause of which we are totally ignorant. One of the most frequent causes of secondary phthysis is chlorosis, that disease which occurs in young females in consequence of retention of the menses. The 
constitution not having sufficient vigour to produce this evacuation at the proper period. If any predisposition to phthisis exists, a determination takes place to the lungs, producing phthysical disease. This case is not analogous to consumption produced by suppression of the menses, after they have been once established. For in that instance, the suppression is not generally induced by debility, but by cold, or some other cause, not acting merely by weakening the patient, and it produces active inflammation of the lungs. But in the case before us, the affection of the lungs is merely a symptom of the want of vigour in the constitution, which shows itself in retention of the menses. Accordingly, in the treatment of this disease, our attention must not be directed primarily to the tension of the lungs, but to the state of the system, the cause of that affection. Profuse evacuations, of any kind, may be the cause of secondary phthysis. Hemorrhages from the nose, lungs, stomach, kidneys, and wounds were all mentioned by Morton as having induced pulmonary disease. Mr. Hay, in his work on surgery, observes that he has seen a great many cases of pulmonary consumption, the consequence of debility, induced by violent hemorrhages, and in persons who had no apparent tendency to consumption. In the same manner, loss of blood from hemorrhoids and in menorrhagia may act as causes. Debilitating evacuations by means of diarrhoea, diabetes, salivation and sweating have had the same effect, but the most frequent causes of this class are immoderate discharges by fluor albus and too long sucking by delicate women of robust children. They are particularly mentioned by Morton and Fothergill and have been adverted to by most authors who have written since. Chronic catarrh, terminating phthysis, may be ranked also in this class. Profuse and long continued discharge from the membrane lining the trachea and bronchi is the debilitating agent in that case. Long continued fevers, and particularly intermittent fevers, not unfrequently leave behind them a state of debility sufficient to induce consumption. In the New York Hospital, frequent instances occur of consumption induced by intemperance and the use of ardent spirits. The habit destroys the tone of the stomach, which becomes primarily affected and in consequence the whole system becomes debilitated, terminating in disease of the lungs. Secondary consumption has also been induced by some other preceding diseases, such as scurvy and syphilis, and requires the attention of the physician to the primary disease rather than to the affection of the lungs. In the treatment of pulmonary consumption, arising from any of these or analogous causes, our attention is first called to the removal of the primary source of the disease. If it be chlorosis, remedies calculating to cure that malady must be prescribed. If profuse evacuations are the cause, all the means in our power must be employed in restraining those evacuations. If the disease has been induced by the long-continued sucking of a vigorous child by a delicate mother, another nurse must be provided, or the child must be weaned. If scurvy or syphilis have produced it, the proper remedies for those disorders must be employed. Our next object is to remove the debility, the cause of the pulmonary symptoms. For this purpose, tonics are indicated, and at the head stands the Peruvian bark. In the other species of phthysis, this medicine has been much abused, but in the present one, its use is sanctioned by experience. In the cases proceeding from leucorrhea and long suckling, it is highly recommended by Dr. Fothergill, but he cautions us against persevering in its use longer than while it is doing good, and remarks that if the breathing become more oppressed, the cough dry, the pulse more quick and hard, and especially if slight transitory pains or stitches about the thorax are more frequently complained of, a perseverance in the use of the bark will increase the disease. If, in consequence of this increase of symptoms, we are obliged to desist in the use of bark, other tonics must be substituted. The combination of bitter and tonic medicines in the infus, amar, of the dispensatories may be then usefully prescribed. Columbo, which is sometimes an ingredient in that formula, is particularly recommended by Dr. Thomas Percival as not possessing any of the injurious properties of bark. The elixir of vitriol is also an excellent tonic, and may be usefully given at the same time with the remedies just proposed but it requires to be administered with the same cautious hand as the bark, 
and to be discontinued if the symptoms appear to be at all aggravated by its use. In general, no ill effects arise from it, but if the determination to the chest be so great as to produce much inflammatory action, it may do injury, independent of its tonic powers. It will be serviceable in checking any disposition which may exist to produce sweating. Iron, in its various official preparations, is also a good remedy in this form of phthisis. Although highly dangerous in the primary disease, there is now little danger of increasing the inflammation, which in that form made it improper. Mineral calibeet waters will in this instance be useful, not only by the journey to them, and the amusement derived at watering places that may be drank with advantage by the patient. In addition to these remedies, the diet and regimen should be such as is most invigorating to the constitution. The nutritious diet and the moderate use of wine will be proper, and country air and exercise with the same rules as were mentioned in the treatment of primary phthisis are very important circumstances in the cure of the secondary form. A long journey, a sea voyage and change of climate are also equally proper. End of section 4, read by Inkel. End of an inaugural dissertation on pulmonary consumption by Edward Delafield.